Welcome to the Mike Hewitt Show, 10 years and growing. It's about family, business, work, and politics like you've never heard it before. Yep, it's true. There's more than just a touch of wry humor mixed in. And now your host, Mike Hewitt. Folks, I am Mike Hewitt. Co-hosts Miles Bauer and Ludwig von Wiedemdorski is actually in the studio. What a deal. I don't know why you laugh about that. Well, welcome back. Well, you know, I want to grace you with my presence every once in a while. Yeah, mighty big of you. Miles Bauer, at the top of our show prep for the day is an article from you. It's titled, Our French Revolution. Tell us about it, Miles Bauer. So this is from one of my favorite guys, Victor Davis Hanson. We talked about him last week on the show, professor at Stanford. Yep. Um, he sets forth the idea that there are parallels to the beginning and during the French Revolution and what is taking place now in America, both politically and culturally. He basically said that the Democrat Party disappeared right at the beginning of COVID and far-left extremists took over the uh, party um, to take advantage of the, the lockdowns and all the craziness during uh, COVID so that they could begin to alter our institutions. For instance, the FBI, the Department of Justice, CIA, et cetera. And um, in effect, turn the founding of this country on it, on its head. Now, if, when, but when he says French Revolution, when I think of French Revolution, I think of, you know, all the cliches, let them eat cake and people being government leaders being guillotined. And then the new revolutionaries, once they get power, they're immediately drunk on power, by the way, and went about killing their own then, um, as most revolutionaries end up doing is eating their own. I, listen, I read the article, and I, I certainly saw some some uh, comparisons. Some, I, I got where he's coming from. What what makes it a little bit murky for me, and I was hoping that the three of us could banter this around for a minute so that listeners and me, all of us, can get a greater understanding. Because when I look at the French Revolution, just to use stick with his narrative, those folks that were angry, the angry mob, were pretty united until they won. But when I look at the culture in the United States, I see something, now I'm borrowing from you, Miles, I see a very tribalized culture. Um, every single group is at odds with other groups. In fact, I've every, I've actually saw a, a political, a county political organization whose banner said against everyone. That was the banner, against everyone. It, it, we're very tribalized, and I'm not, I'm not seeing how that compares with him, with, with his, with his. Uh, by the way, it was at real, real clear politics, folks. Folks, if you're looking to actually read the article, but the other thing, as I mentioned to you when you shared it with Ludd and I, is that we voted for this nonsense in 2020. We, we, the people, the the voters. I don't want to get lost in election fraud. Setting that issue aside, 
it was clear that a substantial portion of the popula voted for this. And if there's any doubt about whether I'm right or wrong on that, they doubled down in midterms. So when I look at this, I just paid $3.69 for a gallon of gas on my way into the studio today. Gas is on the rise again, and it's going to get higher again. It will see well above $4 by the 4th of July. And we've the, the population now twice now have voted for this. So I'm not seeing that as a grassroots, meaningful flipping of our government. It's an, it's they're empowering this nonsense. Tell me how how do you make the comparison, Miles? Well, so we we talked about how the values change from the boomers to the millennials to X, Y, and Z. Right. And especially the Gen Zers who are just now becoming adults, they have the least amount of buying power. Agreed. Okay. And that and that that has got to affect how they are viewing this and how they must view people like you and I that are both boomers and go, you guys are nuts. I need cash. What the Lud, what do you well, I, I, he, the he's bubbling in his chair over here? The reason I disagree on that is they don't know it yet. They because don't, most what, of them are still living at home. What, what age group are you talking about? The, the age group he's talking about. But I want you to put it in numbers. The millennials, the Gen put, Zers. Put it in numbers. Age group, I don't want oh, the labels. The, the 18 to 26. Year old. 18 to 26. Yeah, they don't okay. know the real effect so, yet. 26-year-old still living in mama's basement. Yeah. And even though even though in my lifetime there were 26-year-olds that were full, full bird colonels running gigantic organizations in our military and running very successful corporations and now they're living in mama's basement. Yeah, I just again, it's, wanted it's, to point that out on your way. It's not a ge- it's generalization because it's not everybody. I mean, yep. I, like Jared and, and myself and you're not in that I'm group. a Xenial, so I'm not really you're a millennial. But, Z- Xanax, but by the way. It's not everybody, but we look at as the mass majority are, are living home longer because they can't afford to get a house. And they don't really see the effect of their buying power yet because they're still able to have their iPhone. Yep. They're still able to have a car. Yep. They're still able to go to Lululemon and all these other stores because they don't have to pay rent and utilities, which is a good chunk of about $2,000 a month minimum in a modest Midwestern city. You go to a big city, you're talking four to 5000 a month. So these, these people haven't quite felt that effect yet. So they're still voting on that the emotional, social issue side of things. When they get to the next step in their phase of life, they will become fiscal voters. They're not there yet. My only pushback on all that, Lud, and it does go to generation differences. You and I do a podcast together that's got nothing to do with politics, but it causes me to do a lot of historical research over the last hundred years. And in doing it one one evening, I'm sitting there with my iPad, and I'm I, I'm I'm looking in a community that I grew up in. And so just for funsies, I look at my, the house that I grew up in is gone, but I look at my cousin's house. We're still close. Peanut butter and jelly close. He's my cousin. Think the world of him. Uh, we grew up together. So I look at the house he grew up in. They were middle class. My uncle that's passed away, his father worked for General Motors, had a very good job at mid-level at GM. The house he lived in was a little dinky ranch. Mm-hmm. But back then, nobody thought of that as a little dinky ranch. He had a nice house. Mm -hmm. I tell you that because expectations about housing, basic things, have changed dramatically. 
And I thought, wow, maybe maybe I'm maybe my memory's bad. So at the other end of the same street, I had a different uncle that also worked for General Motors, but he was a third shift electrician, skilled trades, all of that, made way more money. His house looked identical, but it had a brick face on it. And let me add brick face. It was not a brick house. Miles, that takes me back to a conversation you and I had 40 years ago. So, right. but, but housing and expectations in general have changed dramatically. So the kid, the, the 26-year-old kid living in mommy's basement could have afforded either one of my uncle's houses, but he doesn't want that. He wants the house I live in at 62 but, but years old. But he can't afford those today. No, he could. No, those houses are $190,000, $200,000 now. They're not the $30,000, $40,000 house like they were back then. Miles, what do you think? We're down to seconds. What's your What's your opinion on this topic? No, I you know I I can see where Jared and Lude would take offense to my supposition, um, and I'm not really trying to attack him. I'm more trying to say, just like you know how we know the void between the Republicans and the Democrats have gotten wide. Right. I'm just saying I think there's a void between the generations. Oh, I agree with that. Part. We agree with you on yeah. that. Neither one of them looked offended, by the way, but I, 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 we, I think all, all three of us agree with your point that there is generational difference. There's Huge. A, but led to your point, there have always been generational differences. Yes. This isn't anything new. I remember looking at my grandfather thinking, wow, really? Any fo- folks, we got a big show. Do me a favor, stay with us. We've got to go to a break, but we'll be right back. The unvarnished truth with Mike Hewitt. Middle East peace, Saudi Arabia and Iran, Sunni and Shiite. Our news doesn't want to report it because China served as the adults. Now the Saudis consider joining France, trade in Chinese currency rather than the U.S. dollar. The economic reality of replacing the dollar as the world currency would be catastrophic for Americans. Hard to believe world powers want to protect themselves from our angry clown politics. A dollar built on clown promises? in a politically weaponized bureaucracy. The debate about what Republicans should do? I was told we should be on the attack. Do to them what they do to us. I ask, would it be better for Republicans to just get the things done Americans need done? The reply, that's stupid. Folks, the unvarnished truth is that all Americans have got to stop the gotcha nonsense, get back in the arena of ideas before it's too late. Find the Mike Hewitt Show on Spotify and Apple Podcast. You'll like it. Now listen, I gotta tell you everybody, to start off with, when my wife heard that 60 second feature, she said, wow, you've got, you've got, maybe you should redo it. There's too much anger in your voice. Listen, I don't feel angry. I, I, I think we've placed ourselves. I would call it intense, but I think we've placed ourselves in a very fearsome situation. That's my interpretation of where we're at. So we'll spend a fair amount of time today on this uh, episode talking about what's going on in our society and our culture and Miles, to your point before break, talking about the differences in generations. All of those things are valid conversations to have. But while that's going on, the position in the, in the, in the world of the United States is eroding at warp speed. Uh, it just is. China is absolutely doing the job that we should have been doing if we want to have peace. Now, I've, I'm a non-interventionist, 
So I wrestle with this. But what I don't wrestle with is what will happen to the average American from top to bottom when I say average if the United States loses its standard as the dollar bill currency of the world. Uh, it's a big thing and nobody wants to talk about it. We're, big, we're busy arguing over somebody's laptop, that screwball, or what some nutcase state representative was screaming in, in where was it, the, one of the Virginias, I can't remember what state, uh, or, the, or the, the screwball state rep out in Washington. I'm listening to all this go, wow, this is all hyperbole. This is nonsense. We are not slowing down to navigation speed to get our hands around what really matters. That's my interpretation here. So it's not anger. It's really significant frustration. Miles Bauer, what, what say you when you listen to that 60-second piece? Yeah, my, my uh, hair is on fire because I am genuinely worried if these countries start re returning dollars back to us, and Lud can speak to this better than me, but if they start sending our dollars back to us, we, we are going to be the Weimar Republic all over again. Lud, do me a favor. Take a stab. First off, do you agree with Miles's comment? Oh, yeah, we're in big trouble. Lud, do me a favor, though. I, you're the economist in the family. Will you tell the folks what it would mean to have the dollar be, be kicked aside as the world currency? <clears throat> so right now our value is based on acceptance and people willing and able to, to use it. So it's every every global transaction is reverted from their currency to the dollar, then paid, and then reverted back to the uh, receiver's currency. Right. So if we got rid of that, our dollar's power would be dropped significantly because it would go then against whatever the global currency is, right. no longer the dollar. So what brings our dollar up and props it up is because every transaction has to be made in it. I, I, I get that. The other thing, though, goes to uh, a fiat value. That's, is, but that's the valuation. That's where I, it comes from. I, I get it. But where I'm going with it, and I want to tie it back to Miles's comment about the Weimar Republic. If you think that you're dealing with inflation right now, folks, the amount of inflation that the devaluation of our dollar would cause, no longer being the, the global currency, inflation, you can't, even, you can't even imagine how big and how tall and how wide the impact would be on our economy. Hyperinflation overnight. Hyper, which is 50% north. Yeah. You defined that yeah. for me in one of our debates a year ago. Yeah, you, you literally, so my electric bill this month was 35% higher. Right. Not because we use more. We actually used less than last month. Uh, Cost up went up. Last year or last month? Last month. It went up that much. 35% now. from month over month, That's just a, from last month to this month. And we use less. And you live in West Michigan, yeah. just for folks listening. Yeah, and we use less. Uh, listen, hyper... It will go up like hundreds of percent. Hundreds of percent. You'll be better off to burn the money for heat and power right. than to actually so, pay a bill. So, folks, if you don't know what we're... And I'm, listen, I'm really not trying... Yeah, I really am. I am being an alarmist because I think this is an alarming circumstance that yeah. nobody from the Biden administration down seems to be dialed into. They're worried about all kinds of nonsensical... Um, the theater stuff. That's Miles. It tell me if I'm wrong when I, because I think it's all kabuki theater. I think it's all, all whatever they can say for for the to, to bounce around Twitter, Facebook today is all they're focused on, and and absent of that, folks, if if you want to know if you really want to picture what we're talking about, you go to Google. You type in Weimar Republic currency and then flip to Google Images. And you'll see people during the Weimar Republic using their cash to heat their homes, 
literally they were putting it into the fireplace for heat. Yep. That's what the cash was. If we were to lose the, the, the international trade of currency, that's immediately what would happen to our value. And nobody's paying attention to it. You get, I get into political conversations in circles where these people at the state level could have an impact. And they're looking at me going, oh, no, we need to talk about what the Budweiser can did. No. Folks, I don't care about the Budweiser can. When we're sitting in a really precarious position, before you go, Lud, I asked Miles for his kickback. So tell me on this, Miles, and then we'll go to you, Lud. Yeah, no, the the thing that is that is scary for me is that I mean, all of a sudden, o- overnight, my 401k is gone. My pension is gone, and my checking account is fundamentally gone. And I don't know, Lou, tell me if I'm hair on fire crazy. The Dollar Tree, I I laugh everybody uh, in my classes, I'll be like, billion percent inflation in Venezuela. So essentially to make it as easy to terms to understand. A what percent? Billion percent inflation. A billion percent inflation. Yeah. Literally. Literally or is that? literally. Okay. So the Dollar Tree now becomes the billion dollar tree. I see. Okay. Yep. So it'll take you a billion dollars to buy one item at the Dollar Tree. Okay. That's the equivalent, for to put it in layman's terms for people to understand. So Bill Gates could go to the Dollar Tree and buy 365 items. You and I and Jared and Miles all collectively couldn't buy one. Here's the scary part that's not being discussed beyond just the China and all this. The central bank, the Fed, is buying all-time high levels of gold right now. It's funny that you take us there because the topic I want to touch on before the next break, and I'm this is from Fox News, same as I always say, folks, when I looked at this story, I searched it. It was at Reuters. It was a number of different places with different uh, different titling, but the same story. Chicago, well, it, it talks about how uh, there's an overwhelming, here it is. In fact, I got it from Zero Hedge, but it was also at Fox. Their title, Central Bank Gold, Buying shows no signs of slowing down. China bought a record amount. Folks are buying China, uh, buying gold, uh, as well as China, at record amounts across the board. Countries, not people. And it's because they're saying, whoa, whoa, if we're not trading in the U.S. dollar because the U.S. value of the dollar makes us nervous, in that 60-second feature, I talked about clown policies. And that's how I see this. But the worst part, forget Mike Hewitt. That's what the that's what these governments, other governments, are looking at. They're going that that country is turned into a massive, angry, clown show. Why in the world would we rest our economy and our future on what those nimrods are saying? But what's so important about the Fed doing it is that they see this transition happening from the U.S. dollar globally. Yep. they know we're going to have to go back to the gold standard. That's the only way the euro has been able to compete and outpace the value of the dollar because it's backed by gold. And the Fed is now making that transition quietly without people knowing it. We got about, we got about 30 seconds, Miles. Any final before we got to go to break? Yeah, no, I, you know, other than my, my uh, hair is on fire and history tells us this does not have a happy ending. History, to your point, History is replete with examples of what's next if we don't change course. That part is undeniable. It isn't politics. It's fact. Folks, stay with us. We've got a big show yet to come. We'll be right back.
Folks, I am Mike Hewitt. If you're just tuning in, my co-hosts are Miles Bauer and Ludwig von Wiedendorski. Uh, listen, first I got to thank everybody for, for uh, joining us. Um, we are broadcasting from our flagship station, WHTC, in beautiful Holland, Michigan, right on the shore of Lake Michigan. We're at 1450 AM and 99.7 FM locally, but we're all across a number of states. We thank all of our affiliates, but even more important than that, we thank you for listening. Thank you very, very much. Uh, and by the way, again, I say, if you uh, want to get a message to us, please consider emailing me at mike at themikehewittshow.com. If you just go to themikehewittshow.com, you'll find links there, pictures, bios, all of that kind of stuff. And you can also find us on Facebook. And right, we're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts now. Yes, sir. I kind of see that as an archive because I'm an old guy. But we're on, that's where we're at also. <laughs> well, so. You call it archive. Our generation calls it on demand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we're, we're accurate and you're just fooling yourselves. All right, listen, before we move on to the next set of topics, I, I want to clear this up. Lud, again, you're the you are the economist here. Yep. And folks, just so you know, when I say that, he's a professor, teaches micro and macro economics at uh, the uh, university level. Tell us what, when I said, I read the title from Zero Hedge, Central Bank Gold Buying Shows No Signs of Slowing. Who is Central Bank? So for the United States, the Central Bank is the Federal Reserve. Okay. So now let me flip to you, Miles Bauer. If we're being told that the Central Bank the Federal Reserve, is buying up gold as fast as they can get their little fingers on it. What does that telegraph to you, Miles Bauer? Well, yeah, I mean, this is something we, we were talking about during the break. When Nixon pulled us off of the gold standard, I believe in 71, I believe they stopped auditing uh, how much gold we had in Fort Knox to back our actual dollar. So what I kind of thought is, uh, isn't the Fed basically telling us we don't have the gold to cover the currency? Yeah, or or they, they and I'm not pushing back on that. That might be part of the message. The other part to me, though, is that they don't believe in the dollar either. Well, that's what I was saying last segment, is that the, the thing that's being signaled here is they see the trouble globally that the U.S. dollar maintaining its standing. Right. So to, in order to try to prevent this hyperinflation scenario, they need the gold to back the dollar valuation. Right. So that otherwise, if we get pushed off, this fiat is, it's not worth anything. And now you have nothing backing it. And like I said earlier is because the Euro has gold backing it, right. that's what's made the Euro powerful around the world without being the basis. Right. We don't have enough gold to back, especially the printing from the 2008 bailouts, the auto bailouts, COVID bailouts, the, now we're into the bank bailouts again. We don't have the currency to, or the gold to back that currency created. And so it's, it's all make-believe. Yes. It's monopoly money. Yes. So they're trying to ramp up, I think, from what I'm seeing with China. And this isn't new. A few years ago, I don't know if you guys remember, Russia was pushing OPEC to go to the gold standard for oil. Right. Because Russia knows. Yeah. And if that happens, that's as catastrophic, if not worse, than the yuan being well, the we, basis. we become the... the you know, the, the king with no clothes and all of yeah. that. Listen, guys, let's switch gears. I'm reading an article, this time from humanevents.com. I've got no idea anything about them, but the article itself caught my eye, and I did find it in other locations. In fact, it's actually an article that was written about a Charlie Kirk interview. So hats off, 
hats tipped to him and them. Title of it, though, Alan Dershowitz tells Charlie Kirk he believes Trump will be convicted, but verdict will be overturned on appeal. Miles, you are our resident Trump publican, so I'm guessing you've been watching this drama this week um, closely. What say you to Alan Dershowitz's opinion? I, I certainly agree with him. Let, let's uh, put some context. Alan Dershowitz, by his own opinion, did not vote for Trump in 16. He did not vote for Trump in 20. And he plans not to vote for Trump in 24. Right. So this is not a Trumper that we're talking about. This is a Harvard Law professor. Far left. He's well, Far left isn't fair. He's, he's definitely an establishment leftist. Is that a fair way of describing him? Yeah. And, right. and, and by the way, because we're so tribalized, folks, everybody's got to wear their own kind of hat and their own kind of flag and have a certain kind of lapel pin and maybe some wristbands so everybody knows which group they're in. But he's not in the AOC faction. He's not an AOC faction. No. He's not. But, but that might be generational because he's older. But one of the things I would give him regard for, and it goes to what Miles has said, he has put his legal constitutional scholar hat on throughout the entire uh, tenure of, of Trump for president, Trump as president. Yeah. Even though he's not a supporter, he's not a Republican, I think he's been very fair. But when he looks at New York City, and I'm basing, basing this on the interview he had with Charlie Kirk, he looks at New York City and says that judge has absolutely no way, no possible political way out of allowing this trial, forget what he thinks about it, and he has no possible way of surviving him not being found guilty. And therefore, it will have to. That will happen, and therefore, it will have to be appealed. In other words, to appeal it to get it out to a wider group outside of New York City because they're so screwball far left. Well, it's not the judge that'll make the ruling; it's the jury. So, question <laughs> for you guys is. Yeah. According to the Constitution, you're supposed to have a jury of your peers. Right. Where are you going when, to get peers? When you're the former president of the United States, who are your peers? Is it the everyday Joe? Right. Is it only people at that level of being at a presidential, yeah. congressional level? What is peers defined as? Number one. Number two, it's in New York City, which we know in this district only voted like single percentage points sure. for Trump. Sure. So these are already against him. I think that's where the conviction comes from. Here's why well, i got to have fun for you for a second. If you look at the concept of peers historically, mm -hmm. the founders, they thought peers meant people that knew you because who better to pass judgment on you than the people that know you. So now we've really segued our way of how we view that word and what an unbiased jury is. Yeah. Now if you're a, a, a black person that's been charged, that jury better be black. If you're a if you're a this or if you're a that, it's a, they've got to match up the group with the person being charged. Well, no, none of that is what it is. And I don't know the right definition, but I know the wrong one. The wrong one is politics. We, and I believe this, by the way, when we're talking about a Republican judge, just so you know. I don't think I should be able to know. I don't think I should be able to tell what the politics of the judiciary is. By their ruling. I'm not saying that they can't have politics. They're still a U.S. citizen and have every right to have a view. But their rulings and their courtroom decorum should not trumpet, hating to use that word, where they are politically. That's not what they're found. Their, their, their judgment shouldn't be he's a Republican. 
Therefore, he's guilty. And it shouldn't be the opposite in a Republican community. Should they be elected by the citizenry then? Because that's where politics starts getting sketchy. They kind of are. It's representative government. And I don't know about that particular judge, but there are judgeships that were elected. There are judgeships that are appointed. appointed Both of them were elected, both Bragg as well as the judge. I knew Bragg was. Bragg got elected with a million dollars with a Soros money. And I'm not a big Soros. I'm not the guy running around yelling George Soros. I don't have that nonsense all over my Facebook. But listen, a million bucks walks a pretty big dog. Especially for a, a, a small-time DA. Not a, he's, I know it's Manhattan, but it's... It's big money. It's crazy money. It's, he's not getting made, paid but, that much. But they want ideological decisions. Yeah. That's what they paid for. Well, he ran and on that I'm better be what him. they got. His whole running campaign was, I'm going to get Donald Trump. That yeah. was his campaign. That was his basis. So, yeah. Well, he's keeping his campaign promise. Yeah. That's what those people want. I don't think Trump can get a fair trial in New York City. So that goes that goes to the foundation. Can he anywhere? Part. But where I want it, and we're almost near, we're almost up to another break. So I got to tell you, one of the things I find myself in commonality with Trump again on is Trump calls for defunding federal law enforcement agencies. And of course, the left goes crazy on this. And I went, well, no wonder they don't listen to my radio show because I've been asking for almost a decade now which founding father would have said yes to the concept of a federal police? Set that issue aside for a moment. Which federal police department has not been a political animal since they were first conceived? It's terrible. Just terrible. He's spot on with that. Folks, stay with us. We've got a lot more, and we'll be right back after this messages. All right, guys, now listen, I've sourced this topic on purpose the way I did it. This is an article that you can find at msn.com. Does that sound a little squishy leftist, Miles Bauer? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I picked it on purpose so nobody could say I was off on the right fringe. Trump's criminal case in New York may collide with the 2024 campaign. And so I ask... This is a case that's 16 years old, been passed on twice. Does anybody anywhere think that this third charm being brought up now that will coincide with the 2024? uh, Miles, this just reeks, reeks with politics. There's absolutely nothing about this case that's legitimate. Am I overstating it? No, I mean, think about it. So... They're going to do pre-trial in December. Right. The primaries are going to start next year. He'll be in the middle of the initial trial and have to try to cover the campaign trail. Well, you're right. You're right. This is all all designed. And then when he's convicted and he still has to be on the campaign trail because he has gone to the appellate court to appeal it. Right. He's still going to be in the campaign. So this is just a way to, to... tie Trump up. If 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 Bragg can elevate these charges to federal, I know he's working on it. I'm I'm not a lawyer, but reading through the documentation that they've made public at least, I don't see a path there, but again it's political, so I assume they will. And if he's charged and found guilty of a federal crime, 
yes to the appeal, but that would make him disqualified to be a president. And therefore, would his campaign be over? I'm just asking. Well, it's a lot. So, first of all, Bragg can't bring a, a federal charge. He's No, he can't. But he's trying to marry it together with uh, with FEC and some other uh, federal agencies. All the ones that already said this isn't? Right. Okay. Exact same. But, but listen, New York's Manhattan prosecutors said this isn't even a state charge. And now we're all assuming he'll be found guilty because it's politics. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, he is the one saying that he's working with them to bridge between state and federal. If he's found guilty of a federal crime, even if it's some nonsensical, nothing happening, everyone knows it will be appealed and win. Uh, if that happens, there'll be a period of time when he could could not serve as president based on the law. I, I'm just, well, li listen, I never try to outguess what these Nimrod far-left extremists are doing. Right, but I mean, think about it. So if it's un under appeal, if he lost the appeal, right. yes, he, right. he, he, he would be toast. But if he didn't lo lose the appeal, think about it. As president of the United States, he could go in and pardon himself. Right, right, exactly right. We went through that question in his With first Hillary. term. Yeah, but, listen, we, go, go so, ahead. So real quickly, the political part here is they wanted the trial to start in December. The judge right. said no. So they have a hearing on the 4th, one, a one-day hearing. The on part this, that's political. On December 4th. Yeah, the part that's political in that one-day hearing is typically, according to Judge Janine, who I've listened to right after this earlier in the week, <laughs> said. That makes you a legal expert, bud. <clears throat> no, I'm just going to use what she said because she's a judge, a former judge. She said, typically, the defendant does not have to be there. And this is a simple motion, submission, and approval and denial right. tr uh, day. That's it. There is no need for the, the defendant to be there. That having him come in is what made me go with political on it. It is political. Because, and think about the millions of dollars we have to spend to s s fortify New York City for him to be able to come in and out. Listen, if you ever want a fun half an hour, go to Twitter and read the left on these topics. I can't. Oh, my goodness, is it? Is it? the Talk about creative. All right, Miles Bauer, before I run out of time, i got to take us there. Chicago paper is stunned new mayor honored God but not Obama. <laughs> Shame on him. How can you talk about God and not talk about Obama? That's from Fox News, by the way. I, <laughs> tell, tell us about, is your new mayor better than your old mayor? No. So you fact, he... he <laughs> He may even be worse than Lighthead. So how do you get, when you say worse, do you mean more extreme far left than Lighthead? Yes. I don't know yeah. how a person can get that way. How does that happen? I, I You know, like like we, we were talking on before the show. Yep. It goes goes back to what, what you said. When the left has something blow up in their face, Yep. They just double down and move even further to they, the left. They do. Now, listen, the other the other part that I find fascinating, this is where I get myself in trouble, but I think the left and the right both are stuck in, in a rut because the right now has, I don't want to say surrendered, but the, what I call the fringe right, I apologize because I actually agree with most of the things that the angry mob wants or articulates, but their process in achieving those goals is it's not functioning. It's it's lack of experience. But but what's happened is that right in terms of Republican Party elected 
are fearful of the grassroots right now, which is probably how I should articulate it. But it's the same thing on the left, which is when I say tribalization, I think that we are so broken up where where grassroots on the right does not represent the average voter. I know that because I watch polling closely, legitimate polling, not ABC polling, by the way. And the folks on the left, the average left voter is, I don't believe they're represented by this guy you've got as your mayor now. But what I would suggest and it goes partly to what you said, Miles, and you please tell me if I'm wrong because you've got way more experience with the big cities than I do. But when I look at just the larger cities in America, so Detroit, Chicago, Philadelphia, New York, L.A., Watts, uh, the, the major market cities, they're not Democrat. They're far left, far, far left extreme. And that's how you get people like Mayor Lighthead and whatever this new Nimrod is. What, what's going on in, in, in the culture of inner city, not inner city, but city America? What's happening, Miles? Well, I can say in the case of Chicago, the teachers unions came in really strong and con contributed to the new mayor's campaign and supported it. So some of this is, you know, cronyism type uh, work. Now, I think of I think of teachers unions as being far left extremists. Am I yeah. off base with that? No, uh, no, I, I I certainly agree. You know, one of the things I added on after the fact um, was this fact. I can't even find it now, but the fellow that was had been offered a job as a school superintendent. In an email exchange, he re referenced to two of the ladies that were in the meeting. And because he called them ladies, they rescinded their offer to him to be their superintendent. And I thought, wait a minute, have they gotten so radical on the, on the school level that the superintendent can't use the term, the word ladies anymore? And I, I, I listen, I got to tell you guys, I genuinely, I'm an old man, I know that. I'm the oldest guy part of the show here, double some of you as an age. Uh, and when I look at it, I, I don't understand that thinking at all. So if I said it was really great to work with this panel that hired me, uh, the, the two ladies were whatever he said about them, how does that get to be a disqualifier, Miles? Yeah, that's no, that, that's just extremism on steroids. Now, one of the two ladies thereafter has tried to distance herself from that. Evidently, we're talking about a, a, a board, a, a school education committee. Both whoever, one of the two ladies said, no, 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 I did not want that rescinded. But that was the, that was the effect of it, that it was rescinded because of that. And listen, before we run out of show, I won't even be able to get to the UFOs now. But what I really, and I'm down to a minute, and I, I'm frustrating myself, but when we get into this big argument over gender identity, I got to tell you guys and everyone listening, I honestly don't care about any of that stuff. I don't care what Nike or Budweiser puts on their products, Jack Daniels. I don't, I, I literally, I don't care. The problem that I have with all of it is it's really, really impacting the psychology, the mental stability of our children in middle school and early stage high schools. Those folks are being absolutely, 
politically targeted, and they are not equipped emotionally and mentally to handle this stuff. It's off the hook. I don't know how to bring it back, but the next generation that's in middle school right now, that generation is becoming very, very troubled, and I'm deeply concerned. I ask parents, please double take. If you're a Democrat and we disagree on everything, at least please slow down and look at this because it's all about what tomorrow will be. Folks, we've got to go. We're out of time. But listen, thank you very, very, very much for listening to us. Be safe. We will see you next week.